welcome to Side Alpha Leadership, a podcast where leaders can share their experiences and discuss what leadership means to them. I'm your host, David Polikoff. Hello and welcome to this month's Side Alpha Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, David Polikoff. I'm pleased to have on the line with me today, Anthony Avello. Uh, Anthony uh, works in the fire service up in New Jersey, and uh, he's also the uh, author of books, Full Contact Leadership, as well as Fire Ground Strategies, uh, produces a lot of uh, information for uh, Fire Engineering Magazine, as well as FDIC. So without me rambling on, Anthony, welcome to the show, and tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, thank you, brother. Um, really uh, excited to be here. Um, definitely a, a different, little bit of a different forum than uh, normally uh, uh, working with. I normally just work with fire service, but you know, military and, and that sort of thing. This is this is really cool. Um, I'm a retired deputy chief from Northwestern Regional Fire and Rescue in New Jersey. Um, we are located just across the Hudson River from New York City. Um, to give you an idea where we are, the Lincoln Tunnels in our jurisdiction. So we cover five cities, um, most densely populated cities in America. We have about eighty to 90,000 people a square mile. Is never a fire without at least two exposure problems, and it's always rush hour. Uh, currently, I'm the director of the Monmouth County Fire Academy in New Jersey, which is you know down near the Jersey Shore, down that area down there. And I'm an adjunct instructor, a professor for New Jersey City University as well. So, uh, you know, while I'm retired, I'm not retired. Yeah, no, no firefighter has ever really retired, especially when you're on the teaching circuit and uh, you're constantly writing new uh, programs. I know you were just down in Florida with a couple of my guys from uh, Capital Fire. Um, so you're always teaching, you're always developing new uh, information um, because the fire service in general is is constantly evolving. So uh, one thing that we always say is you got to stay on top of it. You got to train in order to, uh, you know, keep your skills sharp and uh, it's good to learn new things. So. Today, I know you wanted to talk about um, w- with uh, some of the stuff that's found inside of your book, uh, Full Contact Leadership, and uh, so I'm just going to let you go ahead and take the reins and and, uh, and go ahead and, and talk about it, and I'll ask questions as we go along. Okay. Um, fair enough. Uh, I, I, was, uh, I was very fortunate to have a, an unbelievable mentor by the name of Ed Flood. Ed Flood was my captain. Uh, when I first got on the job in Weehawk, and then when we regionalized to North Hudson, Ed Flood eventually became the chief of department. But he was one rank ahead of me my entire career. And uh, he allowed me to snatch the pebble from his hand. There is nobody that I know in the fire service, bar none, and I know a lot of people, that understood leadership and management and dealing with people like Ed Flood. Uh, he could at times be uh, soft, hard be your worst enemy or your best friend, but he jealously guarded the fire service and North Hudson Regional Fire and Rescue um, from any injury, internal or external. And uh, he passed away last year, and I was very fortunate to uh, be able to get him to uh, put down on paper his uh, sort of uh, special kind of genius uh, in in regard to uh, leadership and the fire service. We worked together. We also ran a promotional company together. And if you look at probably 90% of the career chiefs in New Jersey, 
they were our students in a, a company we called Study Group. And um, I, I, like I said, I was, I was very fortunate to be able to snatch the pebble from his hand. And, and the first day I got on the job, i never forget it. It was back in 1984. And he said to me, this job must be a little bit better each day because you were there. If you, you leave tomorrow morning after your 24 hour shift and the place isn't a little bit better, then you didn't do your job. Uh, you know, I believed it then. I believe it now. I pass it on every single class I do. And, uh, you know, uh, he didn't want to write the leadership book. And I actually had to really kind of, you know, drag him to do it. But I wrote about 22 chapters somewhere around there. And I gave it to him and I said, you know, take a look at this. This is what I'm thinking about. And he called me back about a week later and he said, I don't know how people read your shit. You can't write. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So he asked me like, you know, who would like the leadership gurus in the business now, you know, and, and some of them were our students. And, uh, he said, wow. He said, you know, I said, you know what, these guys were your students and, and you taught them. And, uh, while they're moving forward and, and the mentorship was there for them, you need to put some stuff on paper because, uh, and I said to him, I go, you might die someday. And, uh, you know, I, we need to hear this. So it felt like a job to him. He didn't want to do it. But then, you know, he kind of started to get motivated and, and he wrote it for about 18 months. And he put my stuff together with his stuff. And we went through about 17 times of reading the book from cover to cover before we actually submitted it to fire engineering. And, and I'm really, really proud of it. It's a, if, if anybody read it, it's a different type of leadership book. It is there are no other leadership books like that, like this out there. I, I think that, uh, you know, you talked about, you know, getting these guys that, that you, uh, hold in such high regard, you know, you, you need to put stuff down on paper. Um, and you know, I've had a few people in, in during my career that uh, were just, you know, masters of, of their craft. And I would tell them, you know, mm -hmm. please put something down on paper, you know, put something down on paper. It doesn't have to be a book, but just write your thoughts, your notes or whatever. And, uh, you know, firemen are the biggest procrastinators. You know, we do a lot of work yeah. when we're at work and, you know, when we go home, we don't necessarily want to continue to do the work. And unfortunately, you know, I never got a chance to get the information from these people and then they pass away and it's a loss, you know, that that's just something yeah. that, that, you know, you knew it was great stuff that people could benefit from and, and they pass away and it's gone with them. And you try to, to mimic or recreate some of the stuff that they have, but there's so much things when you run into these people that are constantly thinking about stuff, there's so much stuff in their mind that they haven't put out, mm -hmm. you know, verbally, uh, let alone on paper, um, that stuff is lost. So I'm really glad that, you know, you were able to, you know, really wear them down to, to put this stuff down because the old guard, whether these new people want to look at the, the older firefighters and I'm falling into that category as well as old and past their prime, there's so much stuff that we have that we can still teach the newer generation, even if they're learning different tactics, we can still tell them about the old tactics and they just kind of craft them. You know, um, before I go get deep into this real quick, one of the things I want to bring up, we talk about this transitional attack and we've talked about it before where you knock the fire down from the outside real quick and you go in. Everybody thinks that that's a new strategy. We've been doing that for decades. And I told people, I said, we just re branded it into something different and uh and we're, and we're doing it again and, and people look at it like it's like it's new but it's not so i'm glad that you got mm -hmm. him to put that stuff down on paper yeah you know the you know i i'm a big believer in in 
I think the transition attack certainly has its place in the fire service. I think um, there's enough information there that, uh, you know, we, we need to look a little further into that. Uh, yes, but I agree. That's not new stuff. That's stuff that's a little older. But what I, I actually call it, and, and I don't know if I made this up, this stuff that, like, I always think, like, I heard it from somebody else, and then people will tell me, no, no, that, no that's from you. You said that. So um, there was a thing, uh, I call it the exterior strategic opportunity. And uh, you need to recognize that when, and when it's time to use the transitional attack, you know. And uh, the first arriving company officer has to recognize that because he's there first on a career department. He was going to be there before the chief. You could make, and again, if, if they empower, if you empower your company officers to be able to make those decisions and you stand by them and you tweak them when they're made and maybe they're not 100% right, um, they're not going to be afraid to make those decisions. But I do also agree that hit it hard from the yard is not the end all and be all. And we always should be doing that. Um, we were an interior aggressive fire department in North Hudson, but I can pick out times and I can look at pictures of fires that, that I commanded that we might have um, benefited from that uh, exterior, exterior strategic opportunity, you know? Yeah, it's funny. I just, I literally had this conversation with my guys on uh, my last shift I worked and uh, we showed a picture of, you know, a garage fire and, and, I, and I asked the guys, you know, like, how would you attack this fire? And they go, well, you know, here in, in, in our county, we would have to do this. And I'm like, well, stop, stop, stop. Don't put your thoughts because you think that that's the way we want you to do it. You need to be able to make that decision, and we have built in our policies. You can make decisions. Um, you can change your decisions as long as that they are deliberate, defendable, and that they're communicated. And that's in our policies that you know you can make these decisions, but they have to meet these criteria. So if you turn around and say, "Yeah, I wouldn't hit it uh, from the outside; I go right on inside because of you know X, Y, and Z." That's fine. That's mm-hmm. a good decision. You know, and, and you're right. This hit it hard from the yard. You know these. These terms that people put up there, they, they, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. When you arrive on the scene as the engine officer, I am expecting you to make sound decisions to make sure that the operation is a success and that everybody goes home okay. So if that means that you hit it from the window real quick and then go inside, that's your choice. If you decide to go through the front door and then hit it that way, that's your choice. Um, but again, we want to make sure that, that people are capable and comfortable making decisions. And, and uh, it's one of the things we constantly talk about is like nobody wants to make decisions because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble. Nobody's getting in trouble for making decisions. As chief officers, well, we want you to do a good size up and then base your decisions on your size up. You know, they're just tools in the toolbox, man. And if you're the, the leaders of your department do not empower you to make decisions or don't trust you to make decisions, that's a failure of leadership. Subordinate competence is the responsibility of the superior. And when you don't trust your people to make decisions, that's, that's because you're incompetent as a leader. Because you haven't trained them or you don't trust them. And your job is to trust and, and ensure that competence is where it's supposed to be. So I don't buy any of that. You know, I, I think that, that failures, at the lo- failures at the lower level, uh, because they're afraid to do something, are failures at the upper level. A hundred percent agree. You know, Frank and I talked about this last month. Um, you know, and everybody I talk to when we talk about decision making. You know, if if your firefighters and your lieutenants and captains are afraid to make decisions, you failed as a leader, as the boss, to like you said, empower your people to 
look at the situation that's going on, formulate decisions in your head, and then act upon them. If your guys are paralyzed to do that because they're going to think that you're going to yell at them as the boss, then as the boss, you have failed, and your fire service is never going to move forward, or any business for that matter is never going to move forward. Um, you listen to many of these podcasts that are out there, these military guys that are actually you know, in Afghanistan and Iraq, and they're under firefights when if, if the, the platoon commander goes down, Somebody can easily pick up the mantle and continue to lead forward, um, knowing mm-hmm. what the what the uh, the overall job is and how to achieve success. So, you know, I agree with you 100, percent Anthony. You, your guys, the guys, have to be confident and comfortable making decisions, and that starts from the top down of empowering your people. Exactly. So. In your uh, book, Full Contact Leadership, you talked about the prime directive. So I, I really want to dig into that. And, and I, there's so much good stuff in there. And I want you to just break it down and just go with it. And, and I'll ask questions as we move forward. Okay. So, yeah, that's a good idea because sometimes I'll just scatter all over the place. <laughs> you and me um, both. <laughs> so, you know, listen, the, uh, the, the, the fire department is uh, – there's, there's a thing called a prime directive. And uh, – it's what it is, is the, it's, a, it's the mantra of the officer. It's the mantra of every rank. And the mantra is allow nothing to interfere with your ability to maintain the ready and in-service status of your command. We, have, we exist for one reason. We exist for the community. We exist to get out that door. We exist to get out that door in service and ready. The public demands excellence. Now, we're not always excellent because excellence is a moving target. We should always be moving toward excellence. But there are times when we're not going to be excellent. But, you know, I, I always look at it and, and some of the problems that, you know, as I look back on and some of the, you know, uh, things that we could have done a little bit better, a lot of it had to do with uh, the prime directive and things that, listen, the hardest work you do is before you arrive. The 95 to 97% of the time you spend in a firehouse is spent upholding the, the, the prime directive is spent ensuring that the prime directive is maintained at all times. Because once you go out that door, if you are not in service and ready, it's over now. Now you can't become in service and ready just because you went out that door. That is a, you know, 24-7 when you're not on the fire ground, uh, preparation sort of philosophy that needs to be done all the time. I, I give you a quick example. You're a company officer and you are... Uh, you guys come in at 7.30 in the morning. At eight, at 7.45, you get an alarm. And you get over to the rig, you go to put your gear on, you get in the rig, and you look and you see your firefighters coming out of the kitchen, getting the gear off the racks. Because they're not ready. Because they didn't, they didn't put their gear out. You know whose fault that is? First of all, that's a departmental culture issue. Second of all, it's, it, it can be laid at the door of chief of the department where all fault lies. And third of all, it's a company officer problem. You know, expectations need to be set. Because what happened here? Now you have a delay in response, which affects the prime directive, which affects the customers that we have out there. And as I said, we only have one job, and that's to get out that door uh, in as excellent a fa- and as, as, uh, as quickly a fashion as possible. You know, so, you know, you need to set those expectations. And, and you know, that, that's just one little example. And the problem is the company offices need to set those expectations, but they need to be set also at the at the upper levels and, and start with the chief of department. You know, um, 
you show me a department with great company offices, I'll show you a department that is a strong department and has a future. But eventually, just like a person will look like their dog or the dog will look like the person, the department will always look like the chief at some point. The division will look like the division commander. The battalion looks like the battalion commander. And a company, a company looks like the captain. So that, in fact, there's three sort of ways that can be looked at. You're either a rock, a bowl of jello, or a ghost. If your company offices are rocks, but the chief of department is a bowl of jello, or worse, a ghost, the guys at the bottom are going to be frustrated. You would hope that there's enough solid leadership there at that lower level, lower level leadership, basically, to carry them through because eventually the jello or the ghost will leave. But if you have a chief that's a rock, it's very difficult for company offices and lower level chief offices to be anything but rocks because if they're weak need leaders, if they're casual leaders, if they're absentee leaders, that will never be able, to, you, that will never sit with a chief of department that's a rock. The whole the whole game is to create rocks throughout the organization. Doesn't always work that way. And people at the lower levels working under a rock are usually sort of found out and, and either weeded out or strengthened. But if the people below a rocks and the people above them are not, that creates a frustrated, you often an insecure fire department, a fire department with no contact leadership except uh, instead of full contact leadership. So, you know, these, these sort of bad leadership styles, you know, weak need and casual and absentee can only exist in a department where the chief of department is weak need, casual or absentee. It's, it's funny. You mentioned about the gear on the apparatus, you know, our shifts start at seven in the morning. And, uh, one of the things that I would tell the rookies before they leave the academy is like, if you're showing up for work at seven in the morning, you're late. Um, I tell them you need to be there at a minimum an hour before shift starts. Um, that allows you to get your gear out of your gear rack, put it on the apparatus, check your SCBA, check your attack lines, you know, check to make sure your ladders are there, check to make sure you, you know that, that your gear is is complete. You know, you got your gloves, your Nomex, as things happen. Um, if you're not doing that until seven in the morning, and like you said, that call comes in at seven o five, and you're not ready. Like you said, you, you, you're letting the public down. One of the things uh, as a battalion chief uh, that just irks me to no end is when a battalion chief comes in and they have their gear in their bag and they just put it in the back of the car. They don't open their bag up. They don't lay their gear out. They don't put their face piece on their SEBA. It's just there. And I come in in the morning and their bag is there. It's zipped up. And it's like it's real convenient for me to take your gear off. But if you roll up on the scene and you have to move in to be a division commander, well, we have to wait another three or four minutes for you to get dressed because your gear's not ready to go. And, and to me, um, one of the things that I've always learned is that that uh, you're ready to go. And that means that when I get into work in the morning, I put my put my portable on the correct channel, make sure the battery's ready to go, my flashlights are charged, uh, SCBA is good, face piece is good, all my gear is together, it's laid out, so all I have to do is go to the back of the car, take my shoes off, put my boots on, and I'm ready to go. So... Yeah, just that one example. You know, there's many other examples out there. When the guys aren't checking the water level on the apparatus, they're not checking their attack lines, there's a failure that has cascaded from the top all the way down. Uh, one of the things that I've heard and that I, I continually say is 
your leadership is only as strong as the things you allow your companies to get away with. So if you allow them mm-hmm. to not train, to not put their gear on there, to not check the apparatus, to show up to work at seven in the morning, well, that's a failure on your part. And somewhere along the line, the bosses didn't instill how important it is for us to uh, to be ready. You talked about being a ghost. Um, one of the problems that I hear from a lot of people through all different jurisdictions is that their bosses aren't coming down to the stations to visit, to just say, hey, guys, I'm your chief here. Here's who I am. Um, you know, the, believe it or not, people want FaceTime with their bosses, and, and we don't see them. That's a vacuum or a void of leadership, and and you know how firemen are. We'll start to instill our own rumors, and and we'll try to fill that vacuum with something else, and sometimes it's not the right thing. Exactly. You know, Mike Viesling, you know, you talk about the the gear, and and these things, it's like freelancing. These are all permitted activities that your culture allows. Mike Viesling, who's the chief of department in, in Oswego, Illinois, said, what you permit, you promote. And what, what a great statement, you know, uh, what you permit, you, five words, man, five words, but it, it is all about, the, it's all about, you know, maintaining the prime directive, you know, the prime directive is nothing more. If you can get, here's the thing, if you can get your people to understand this and the other end of it is company offices need to ensure it's a two way street. They need to ensure that their people understand the prime directive because what happens is, there are times when they're checking the rigs or whatever, they're going to come across something and, or, or there may be something going on between ships, whatever it happens to be. They have to understand that anything that there is a possibility of interference with the prime directive has to be brought to the officer immediately. If you fix it, great. Got to bring it to the officer immediately. The officer should evaluate that. Maybe that has to be brought to his superior. But the idea is that when a company office is the only one uh, spouting on the prime directive or, or thinking about the prime directive and the, and the people below you are not thinking about it, there's going to be a disconnect there. And something is going to go wrong at, at the worst time. And if you look at, you look at a fire ground that's gone wrong, most of the time it can be traced back to something that happened in the soft environment. When the soft environment is, you know, when you're not on the emergency ground. The training is a semi-soft environment and a semi-hard environment. That's training. But when you're on that emergency ground, when that curtain goes up, you got to be ready to go. And most of the time, if you're not, it's because of something that happened when you were not on the fire ground. So how – give some advice to the listeners of, of how we can uh, – if they want to stay on this on the path of, 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 of this prime directive, but they're just not feeling it from their above, how do, how do they lead from the bottom? How do they lead up? Well, first of all, you need to take care of your own business uh, at, at whatever rank you have to have, happen to be in. You also need to aspire to the next rank. There's a saying that says you can't be better than your boss. If your boss is a sack of shit, you're going to be very, very disappointed, um, uh, confused at times. Sometimes you can't do anything about that. All you can do is take care of your little piece of the world. And hopefully the, you know, the retirement systems and, and you know, maybe death absorb those people and get them the hell out of the way because there are people that know what the department should be doing and they're not. But again, it's, you know, 
I've seen people and, and uh, they are, are very, very strong leaders. But on the way up, they often get frustrated by people that are not that strong, people that, you know, are, are insecure as leaders because they, you know, they're afraid of people that are are up and coming. You know, um, they're afraid of people that uh, are they would say stealing their thunder. So what happens is these people are so wrapped up in self-preservation that they can't move the department forward and, and the department stagnates and, and the whole department becomes insecure, you know, or except for the rocks, of course, you know, all, all I've ever done. And I've worked for chiefs like that. Um, all I've ever done is, is, is taking care of the people that, that I am responsible for, you know, but here's the other thing. As a full contact leader, a full contact leader is, this is what it is. Full contact leadership is career long, ever challenging, never ending, self-initiated, self-sustained, personal research development improvement program. That's what it is. However, that's the only time it's about you as a leader, when you are making yourself better so that you can lead others better because your ego, subjugation of your ego is, is the most important part of leadership. Leadership's never about you. It's always about them. And the only way you can make it about them is if you practice this, you know, self-initiated, self-sustained research, ever-challenging development program. And, you know, one of the other things we talk about, full contact leadership, it's a commitment to drawing out the very best in others and allowing that very best to be expressed as excellence. That's what you're doing. That's what your job is. If you can do that, you will keep your prime directive on track. The people around you will be excellent. And, and it's hard for anybody in your sort of sphere of influence not to be pulled up rather than dragged down. And it's, but, those, are, those are just true, you know, raw uh, statements there. You know, we all have worked with people, and some people are working with people right now, that, that their bosses have a hard time um, – putting their ego in check and, and you and I talked about this briefly offline was uh, you know when your boss you know Anthony Castros and I talked about that with the secession planning and everything is that you know one of his thing was you need to train the people below you to take your job um, that's a good thing and, and you and I talked about mm-hmm. that um, so let, let's talk about that a little bit is how as a you know as a battalion chief or a captain or a lieutenant you know, what should we be doing to our firefighters? How do we make them feel comfortable um, making decisions, you know, taking them out of their comfort zone? What can we do to build our guys up and to show them that, you know, I'm putting my ego aside and I want you to take my job? Um, I know part of it is, you know, giving credit when when there's, you know, when credit is due. When your guys come up with, with good stuff, you know, act upon it and then give them the credit. You know, one of the things that, that – um, that I talked about with uh, with Frank Ritchie is that uh, you know when, when when things go wrong it's your fault but when things go right give all the credit to your guys. Um, so what can we do as leaders in the organization to start building our people up? Well, I, I think you have to engage them. I think you when you are not fireground, your leadership style of choice should be participative, so that. They are engaged and they are involved in, in everything that goes on, making that company better. They have, you know, one of the things you want to look at is you also should be very open to any suggestions brought by 
your, your personnel. Uh, one of the things that we, we say in the book is not every idea that comes to you is going to be important, but every person that brings the idea is important and you have to treat them that way. And again, sometimes you can, even with some tweaks, you can sort of uh, make them feel like the idea was actually there. So there's a couple of things you can do. Uh, first of all, you need to be a full contact leader in the firehouse because leadership comes out of the firehouse. Leadership does not show up magically on the fire ground. There is no such thing. Leadership comes out of the firehouse, just like everything else that used to take care of business. This includes accountability, discipline, sense of team, safety sense, communication, and, and the art of officering. This comes out of the firehouse. If you can't do it in the firehouse, if you can't empower your people in the firehouse, if you can't lead them there and lead by example so that they can see a good example, then you're never going to be able to do it on the fire ground. Here's another thing. If you can't give an order in the firehouse, you ain't giving an order on the fire ground. Um, and the other end of it is you need to delegate. Too many officers don't know how to delegate. And people don't delegate because they don't trust their subordinates. They think that no one could do it as good as them. But if you get, and this is a floodism, if you give yourself the gift of imperfection, meaning that nobody ever is going to do it as good as you, but given the right time, the right support, the right resources, they'll probably surprise you with what they can do. And then with a little tweaking, they're going to get even better. But here's one of the things that, that uh, you know, sort of stops that dead, the word no. Officers that they only have one answer, the stock answer is no. They kill motivation. They kill um, uh, growth. And, uh, you know, Listen, uh, Ed Flood, he had a ladder company called Ladder 222 in Weehawken. Everyone on that ladder company became a deputy chief. He was of the mindset that, you know, leaders that create, that we create, that leaders that, um, I'm trying to think of the quote now, uh, leaders that develop others add, leaders that develop leaders multiply. All right, that wasn't his quote. But that was sort of his philosophy. But, you know, the idea is um, you need to delegate. You need to let your people know that they can come to you with ideas. Uh, you need to give them ownership of those ideas and of your ideas as well, you know. And the other end of it is the word no is bad. You don't want to ever be an obstacle to the growth of your people. Because you know what happens when you use the word no all the time? People, you're an obstacle. People are going to go around you. People are going to go behind your back. People are going to, uh, you're going to lose your power and you're going to lose your respect. So it's important that, you know, you develop your people in the firehouse because that's where leadership comes from. Leadership comes out of the firehouse. And, you know, listen, if you're in the military, uh, you know, leadership does not come, come from the battleground. Leadership comes from everything that you do before the battleground and all the other places that, you know, leadership is important when the curtain goes up. Well, the leadership is actually nurtured it's it grows it develops and it, it it sort of engulfs all the people around it in the softer environments when it's being sort of cultivated you, you talked about delegation and, and uh one of the things that i i try to 
instill in my people, and one of the things I'm really hitting hard this year is that I want my, my captains and lieutenants to delegate training to their junior firefighters and you know even their senior firefighters. I, I don't want the captains to be leading the training uh, as much anymore. I want them to say, hey, look, uh, next month I want to talk about uh, you know search and rescue or pulling ceilings or whatever. Um, I need you to deliver that drill, so I need you to give me at least 20 PowerPoint slides, and then we're going to go out to the academy and then we're going to do it. But uh, this drill's all yours, and uh, if you need anything, you know, let me know. But you know, to me, delegating that is is doing a couple things. It, it's letting your people know that you trust them to do a good job. Um, it gives you credibility as a leader because they're seeing that you trust them. It also allows your people to get comfortable not only developing programs but to stand up in front of a group and deliver that program. And what I found is that when you ask somebody to do something, they're going to work so hard on that to make it the best thing that they've ever done because they know they're going to have to deliver it in front of their shift. Um, mm-hmm. So delegation is, is, is huge. You know, As a chief officer, if I try to do everything on my own, think then something's not going to get done. So if I'm taking care of all the admin stuff, then I'm lacking in the training area or making sure that my guys are being trained or being the face out there so they can see me. Um, so you have to be able to trust your people enough that you can give them uh, projects to do so you can take some stuff off your plate. Uh, one of the things that you talked about when you delegating, you know, because the officers may feel that, well, I don't let other people do this stuff because they can't do it as good as me. That's that's an ego thing, but the other the the opposite end of that is I think that some officers don't want to delegate the things out because people might do it better, and in their mind they're going to see that as a threat, and that shouldn't be a threat. That should be a reflection on you as an officer of how you have handled your people and allowed them to grow, and they're doing things better than you. That's fantastic. You're setting them up for the next. Uh, uh, level, and they're, they're going to have that knowledge to move beyond that. Um, and the last thing I'm going to talk about when, when you said the word no, which I, I found kind of funny, um, it is an obstacle. And one of the things that I told my kids is that, you know, if I ever tell you no, I'll always give you a reason why. Um, so that way it's just not me saying no. And let me tell you something. My kids can't remember to clean their room or take the trash out, but they certainly remember when I say no and I don't give them a reason why they regurgitate. Hey, on this day at this time, uh, this season and this year, you said that if you ever say no, you are going to give me a reason. So what's the reason? So Mm -hmm. I think that if you do as uh, uh, a leader in the department, you have to say no. You should back it up with why. And if you make a decision, uh, changing a policy or the way you're doing something, it's great to put it out there. But there should also be the why we're doing that. That way, that doesn't leave up for any interpretation or questions. Uh, yeah, I agree. Listen, sometimes you got to say no. That that's part of of being a leader. You have to say no. But there are leaders out there that will say no just to uh, just because they're lazy or they are, they have fear, you know, uh, uh, that somebody's going to do something better than them. All the reasons you said. So, yeah, you know, um, if no, my, my point was, if no is your stock answer for everything, your people are, are, are going to, they're not going to grow up. They're not going to grow and, and they're not going to want to work for you. Yeah. And, and, and 
what you said is, is 100% true. If you continually say no, eventually they're going to be like, you know what, I think this is a great idea. I'm going to take it to somebody else. I'm going to take it to the battalion chief or I'm going to take it to the, the division chief or the ops chief um, and I'll go around you and they might think that that's a great idea. Next thing you know, they're bypassing you and now you're going to be upset about that but you've got nobody to blame at the end of the day but yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you mm-hmm. are an obstacle for your people to grow, to grow your, grow your shift, grow your battalion uh, and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a very frustrating place to be, you know, especially when you have officers that, you know, or firefighters that, you know, for lack of a better term, are pebbles or small rocks that are trying to, you know, solidify and, and, and turn themselves into great rocks that eventually will run that department. And that has to do with jealousy. And yes, you're right. Ego. Ego. There is no place for ego in leadership. Zero place for ego in leadership. Yeah, and I think that we, we run into a lot of that. Um, you know, it's okay to be a little cocky, and I like to separate the cockiness from the ego. I mean, it's okay to be comp- confident in doing your job, and, and people want you to be confident and mm-hmm. competent doing your job, but don't be an ass about it, you know, to the point where, where you're so cocky that, you know, people look at you, you know, as an ass, and they're waiting for you to fall so they can point. Um, but Sure. That being confident and competent in your job, I think, goes a long way. And I think once uh, you've mastered those two things, I think everything else kind of falls in line where you're not going to have a problem delegating. You're not going to have a problem with your people moving forward and for them to eventually take take uh, your job, which is, you know, obviously what we want. We, you know, there's nothing that makes me more proud to watch my firefighters getting promoted to lieutenant and my lieutenants to captains and captains making battalion chiefs because I can look back and say – yeah, they were my guys, and I would like to think that I had a little bit of, of, of help in pushing them uh, to be better, um, to, that I set a decent example. So to me, there is a sense of pride there um, that my people are moving forward and that it's some of it is because of what I try to instill in them. And, and I like to be sort of hands off. I like to, you know, I give my expectations and then allow my officers to run with it and see what they come up with and how they push their shifts forward and, and move forward. So, I mean, how would you, uh, you know, when we, when we talk about, you know, moving up in, in the ranks and, and like you had said, you had, you had, uh, had put together, you know, a side company where you were talking about, you know, uh, getting helping people get promoted and it's that time of season we're coming into the spring where we're, we're looking at uh, promotional exams so what kind of uh, things can you push out to the people that are listening about how to better yourself and set yourself up for that next level be it lieutenant captain or battalion chief well um i i think the most important thing is to learn the job you know uh there there are there are there are weak leaders out there that are a byproduct of a system that allows weak leaders who are very good at testing to, uh, to get promoted. But, you know, weak, weak, weak leaders don't get strong with promotion. They bring their weakness to the next level, which, which hurts the department. So, uh, listen, a test is always a great thing for a fire department. The test always sharpens everyone. I remember going to an alarm one time, and it was during a test sort of period. You know, the test was coming up, and you knew people were studying and uh, we had uh, we had something in like a taxpayer or something, and it was a, a, you know a, a kind of a light smoke condition. It, it probably had something to do with the with the HVAC motor, if, from what I'm remembering. But 
it was great to see the guys saying, okay, look, you know, check the ballots. We're going to check the ballots. And if it's not the ballots, we're going to do this. And I could hear what they were saying was coming right out of one of the books on the list. You know, and I'm saying this is good. You know, these guys are, are moving themselves forward. And promotion is a very, very good thing for a fire department. But the department has to have the responsibility to take people that have been promoted and, and embrace them and move them forward uh, along the lines that the department wants them to move, move along. Too many departments don't have any officer leadership programs. And that leaves guys, especially when they're dealing with personnel issues, sort of out in the, out, you know, in the middle of nowhere. You know, but I think the first uh, uh, thing to do when you're dealing with the promotion is, le- is learn the jobs, learn the job, go and find the job specifications that the state or whoever the testing um, authority says is what you're responsible for. Learn that. Um, then I you listen, I would read I would read the books you know, 20 times. I would have so much information uh, you know, on the books, you know, so, you know, you have to also balance the hands-on with the knowledge, but this is a job of knowledge and officers that don't have the knowledge don't necessarily do that great on the fire ground and officers that, that don't have the skills don't necessarily do that great on the fire ground. You need to be an all around, you know, well, sort of, uh, well cultured and, and cultivated, uh, fire officer. And, Again, that has to do with the department. The department has a responsibility to cultivate fire officers through leadership programs. Listen, here's the deal. A department with solid standard operating procedures, rules and regulations, policies, um, uh, all of those things, they're the things that on which a great officer will hang his hooks and be able to move forward. When a department doesn't give you those things or support those things, um, the department is uh, is it becomes disoriented, it becomes inconsistent, and your offices are are it's it's just a, a pot shot of like, you know, of what they feel like doing today. The department has to always arbitrate the next right thing to do, and that's what they do with policies, rules and regulations, standard operating procedures, and those things also give the fire offices their muscle in their teeth if they need to use it. Don't always have to use it when people are disciplined but you can't be afraid to use it. So there's, there's a lot of give and take and, and a, 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 there's a lot of growth that needs to occur because most of the time when people get promoted, and I always look at a captain as, first of all, it's the greatest job I had, a ladder captain. But captain is that sort of job. And for us, it's the first level uh, of, uh, of promotion. We don't have lieutenants. So, you know, captain is where you actually learn the job. And captain is where you learn how to become a chief because we had the acting officer position. And the acting officer position allowed people to sort of step up that level and sort of see what it was like to be at that sort of upper level and sort of like a departmental, like sort of mentorship program. Um, you know, but I think that uh, that departments that fail to provide um, guidance and leadership from the top down will wind up with a, with a lousy core of officers. You know, one of the things you'd mentioned, you know, we always talk about the test and in, in, in my department, <clears throat> you test for 
uh, master firefighter, which is like a technician or a driver. Uh, it's a multiple choice mm-hmm. test. It's usually a hundred and some questions. There's thousands of, of uh, references, pages, and, and things that they have to sort through, you know, their study materials. So I know that that's very stressful. Um, lieutenant, same thing. They've got the, the, you know, the multiple choice test. It's a little over a hundred questions. Um, and then they move on to an assessment center. And a lot of people, you know, get scared about an assessment center. And that's kind of like where I like to, uh, I do like little zoom things for, uh, people in the County. It's like, Hey, if you're getting ready to take the assessment center, you know, I'm going to do a zoom class. We're going to talk about assessment centers. Um, and the one of the things that I try to tell them is that, you know, you can't cheat an assessment center. It's all about your behaviors. It's all about how you are presenting yourself. And, and uh, so we talk a lot about, about that. Um, and as we move on to captain, it's only an assessment center. There is no uh, multiple choice test. Um, the, the, the problem we run into is that you have people that want to promote fast. So they don't spend a lot of time in their, uh, their respective positions. You know, you can be a, a, a lieutenant for two years. And then when that two years is up, you can promote for captain. You can be a captain for two years and then, uh, promote up to battalion chief. You know, the problem that you run into is if you're in a busy department and you're constantly running calls and making decisions, things that's great for your two years. But if you're in an apartment that's in a rural area where you're only running, you know, uh, you know, 100, 150 calls a year in that two years, you've got and, and if you're on a 2448 shift in two years, you may have only run 50 calls. I, I find it hard to believe that you're ready to move up to the next level book wise um, you know, test taking wise, maybe, but experience wise, it's difficult, but you can't hold guys back, uh, from what, wanting to no. move on to the next level. So you have guys out there that are great at taking tests, horrible at leading people. And I think in the fire service, we, we failed our, our people because we don't offer leadership classes. We rely on those guys and gals to go out and get it on their own. And it's great that they're taking the initiative to go find stuff, but you and I both know the class is only as good as the instructor. But if you've Mm -hmm. got that strong, you know, SOPs or SOGs that, that, that dictate how we're going to do our job and, 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 you know, the, the basis of how we do our job. And then we craft leadership classes based off of our SOPs. Then we're going to be strengthening our officers. And I think we failed in the fire service to recognize that we, we, we concentrated so much on, on the tactical firefighting stuff that we kind of lost track of the administrative stuff, which is what we do most of the time. Um, and that's where your decision-making stuff comes from. So, how would you, if you had to construct, and maybe you did when, when you were uh, in your department, how did you, did you construct leadership classes and what were the things that you focused on uh, in order to build your people up for the next level? Well, we didn't have leadership classes per se. Um, we, uh, we would do, they would give them a, you know, a couple of weeks of, of officer training, which dealt with like, you know, dealing with the paperwork and didn't really have leadership classes per se. Um, what I would do when I got a new officer is I would assign him to one of my more, my more trusted officers as like a mentor, like, an, you know, so if you're a new captain, I'm going to assign you to another captain. And that captain is going to be there to answer questions, to bring you along, to sort of guide you along. And, uh, um, you know, same with a battalion chief. I got a new battalion chief. I'm going to do the same thing uh, with that. What our department did, which was which was a, a pretty good thing, is um, they would also, when you know, when staffing permitted, 
if a guy was going to be promoted and they knew he was going to be promoted, they might take him out of this position and put him in as a sort of training position where he would ride and shadow uh, one of the more senior guys in that position. Now, in a company, we didn't really do that, but at the chief officer level, we did. You know, so a guy getting promoted to deputy and he knew he was getting promoted, he might come and ride with me for, for a month or something and, and sort of, you know, sort of uh, get his feet wet a little bit. Same with a guy being promoted to battalion. I thought that was a good thing. Um, I, think, uh, I think that's one of the places where, where we fail. Our, our firefighters and, and our officers as, as chief officers is, um, is that, that sort of human relations leadership portion where, you know, people don't know how to deal with these types of situations, you know? Um, certainly with the, the company that I had, we had some uh, tools that we utilized. And, and again, we utilized them in North Hudson as well. But uh, I, I think the part of the leadership class that I do now covers dealing with human versus human conflict. And uh, it's, it's probably uh, everyone, I, I, I did it in Florida. I just did it in New Jersey. I'm doing it again in New Jersey uh, in a couple of weeks. And uh, I get really, really good feedback on it because nobody really knows what they're supposed to do when they're dealing with, you know, uh, differences between people either in their company or in, you know, company to company conflict and people, you know, they, they don't really know. And the, the problem with an officer is, you know, when you're oftentimes an officer will turn his head because he has no tools to deal with these things. So, you know, we're, we're talking about things like conflict. We're talking about things like confrontation and challenge. The officer's job is to find resolution there. And, and usually what happens is in the beginning when he's new, he doesn't know how to do that, but he can't be afraid to try and do it. Maybe tap into a, a colleague that he trusts or maybe a superior, but he can't be afraid to do it because what happens is if he doesn't find resolution, he's never going to build any confidence. And he's always going to be behind the eight ball of conflict and challenge and confrontation. So, you know, the more he addresses it and the more he takes these things on, the more confidence he's going to get. Um, but he also has to understand that, you know, dealing with these things, avoidance is not an option that he has. And he, he has to subjugate his ego all the time when dealing with these things for the better good, which is the good of the formal organization, which is the good of the department, which, which trumps all things. You know, we talk to people and we say, you know, all those things you got on your collar, the pins, the bugles, the, the bars, uh, the eagles, you know, whatever they are, what do they stand for? And people say, well, it's responsibility, it's authority, it's this, it's that. I said, no, it stands for conflict, challenge, and confrontation. Because if you cannot deal with those things, if you cannot handle, address, and find resolution there, then we don't need you to work as a company officer. We don't need you because those things on your college say that when the situation, becomes, the situation escalates, I'm the person that you want in that position. Whether that situation is a fire situation or an in-house situation, that officer is wearing those bars because the department has given them the power to handle those situations, or at least begin to handle those situations to find solutions. And that's really what, what the officer's job is, is to find solutions and to challenge conflict and confrontation when no one else can, or when the people below you are looking up to you 
when they're looking up to you to find that. And that, that's an important, important part. And that's actually the hardest part of being an officer, by the way. That is the hardest part is to, to deal with, you know, uh, uncomfortable situations in the firehouse. Because if you can't deal with them there, you ain't going to deal with them on the fire ground either. And, and that so, the, no truer words have ever been spoken. I tell people, you know, the, one of the hardest things we do in the fire service is discipline, uh, to discipline somebody. Um, if, if inaction is probably the worst thing that you can do because then that's going to fester. And it also shows the people below you that, hey, this guy's not handling this or he doesn't know how to or he's afraid to. Um, so you're right. Being, being an officer, Sometimes you have to put your neck out there to uh, say, "Hey, look, this is how we're going to put a stop to this right now. This is how we're going to resolve this right now." You know, I always like things being resolved at the lowest level. If you have, if yeah. you take inaction, it's going to go above your head. And when the genie's out of the bottle, it's very hard to put it back in, especially if uh, if it makes it to a political. Uh, figure who's going to end up, you know, they're going to blow it all out of proportion because they're afraid they're going to look bad. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, hundred percent. We, uh, you know, we fail at, at teaching our, or at least giving some insight on how to do conflict resolution. Um, you know, we can teach our guys how to put fires out all day long, but it's the fires, like you said, in the firehouse, you know, the, 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 the personnel issues. I mean, you're working on a shift of 10 people, that's 10 different personalities. And as the, sure. the, the central figure, the person that's in charge, you need to be able to deal with that. One of the things you talked about was the acting officers, which I think is a fantastic program. We've been doing that in our county for a long time, where you may have a firefighter that's on the lieutenant list and they and they have an idea of when they're getting promoted where they are in line um the captain will ride in the back and allow that firefighter to ride up front to make decisions and talk on the radio and things like that but having that safety net of that captain behind them to help them if they stumble a little bit that that plays out well um we also uh, in the last couple of years we put together a mentoring program where we'll have uh, lieutenants that are on the bubble to get promoted will send them to a station uh, with a designated captain mentor, and they'll work underneath that captain for a month um, as an extra person uh, riding that riding right. in front on the fire engine, learning the job and, and learning how to do the admin stuff in the station. So we're slowly uh, fixing the the uh, the void or the, the hole that we had, and. Um, with the mentors and the acting officer stuff. So I, I think that that's good stuff and that's only going to build our guys up to be strong, uh, to be able to, you know, when they come across a situation, maybe it's something that's familiar to them. Like, Oh, we, I've seen this before. This is kind of how I handle it, or this is the road to handle, or here's who I can call and talk to, to help me handle that. It's good to have, you know, your circle of confidence, confidence that you can call and say, you know, hey, I'm running into this problem. What do I do? Um, I've I've been on the phone with many of, of my friends that are moving up through captain and, and into the battalion chief rank that would call me and say, hey, uh, I'm having trouble doing this. How do I do that? And I'd walk them through it. And uh, it makes, first of all, it makes me feel good that I was able to be entrusted by them to give them a straight answer. And uh, it also makes me feel good that they, they trust me that I'm going to give them the right information and that I'm a person that they can turn to. So I think that once you start to get to that point in your career, I think you know that you are doing the right things and that you should keep on that track. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, we had also talked about, you know, uh, things that happen in the firehouse and, um, one of the things that we try to impress upon our officers is to catch things when they're small. And I don't mean catching it like, ooh, I got gotcha. you. 
I mean that you want to be uber aware, okay? And, and, and we, we liken it to the stages of fire. If you got to catch something, if you involve yourself when it's at a flash of a condition or a fully developed condition, the more organizational tools are needed, the more injury to the organization and the more damage is done and, the, and more feelings are hurt and, and, and discipline. So what offices need to be are forecasters of problems and storm clouds brewing because if you handle something in the incipient phase, or actually even better, if you handle it pre-ignition because you saw something, because you know your people, you're always going to do. You're always going to be able to fix that, and the damage will be less. But if you're an officer and you are routinely turning your head, or if your people don't trust you and they are not bringing the issues that you need, uh, the issues that that you should be dealing with that affect the the prime directive then you're always going to be running into stuff when, you know, it's, it's become major drama, you know, it's in the growth phase or it's in the flashover phase or, or fully developed. And that's the last place you want to be because we can put a fire out with our foot in the incipient phase, but you need master streams when it goes fully developed, sometimes, right. you know? So I, I think if you look at it that way as an officer, and this is something, some of the things we do in the class and you look at it that way as an officer, um, your, your, your kind of goals in, in uh, conflict resolution and um, personnel management sort of become a little more clear. I think uh, one of the things that, that I talk about and I love um, when I do it is, is having these kitchen table talks. And, and I encourage my captains you know, to sit down with your people once a month or if you think that something's brewing sooner. Um, and sit down and have an open, candid conversation with your guys and go around the table and let them know that I want you to be open with me in a respectful way. You know, I don't want you to call me an asshole in front of everybody, but in a respectful way, um, let's talk about the state of the shift, you know, like the state of the union address. Or we're going to talk about the state of the shift. What problems do we see on the horizons? What's brewing? What's bothering you guys? Hey, or if you start to notice something like morale seems to be slipping. Hey, guys, why is morale slipping? What's going on? You catch that stuff at the kitchen table and you, you, you figure out a way to resolve it right then and there. It doesn't grow any mm -hmm. further. If you are the kind of officer that your people trust that they can come to you with a problem or an issue or something they noticed – um, you're going to be able to get that feedback a lot faster before it starts to grow where, where you may not have seen it, but maybe your technician saw that a firefighter on the shift is just not acting himself. He seems a little mopey. He's keeping to himself. He's quiet when he's normally not. And that allows you to pull the guy in the office and talk to him. You've caught that problem before it's snowballed into something that's totally out of your hand. So I love the kitchen table talks. I love it when my captains do it. I like going around once a month and just, you know, talking to the guys. A lot of right. times when I do my rounds, I, every shift I go to every, try to hit every station and just say, hey, what's going on? Try to take a pulse of what's going on. Um, and it allows me to, uh, to see if there's any underlying issues and, and kind of dig into it a little bit. Well, you know what? That, that's a sign of a healthy department. You know, a healthy department will provide mechanisms where people are, you know, don't agree with something. If they're a little bit off balance or something that there is there is a place that they can go. And, and you know, that starts with the chief of department works its way all the way down as, as a battalion chief. That's a great thing to do. And the captain should be doing the same thing. And it also has to do with their trust in you. For instance, you, you, you find something that's like 
uh, maybe with a company officer that, you know, it's a little bit sort of out of character for this guy. Well, how do you deal with that? You have to somehow breach that. And, and it's, it's almost like, you know, when we talk about conflict resolution uh, in, in the class that I do, we talk about tactics. So because it's easy to understand your job is to search for the resolution. Right. But in order to do that, you need to force entry and, and figure out what's going on. Now, forcing entry doesn't mean kick the door in. Forcing entry means it's a function of the trust that that person has in you. So you could do anything from try before you pry to kicking the door in. So there are people that may not trust you. And, and because this, this situation could be affecting the prime directive, you know, and, and they don't trust you, you don't get along, you got to kick the door in. But you don't want to do that. You want to have a, a, a trust and you want to be able to try before your prior, just turn a key in a lock. So like subordinate trust in you as their superior is, is very, very sort of uh, interrelated to how quickly and how much they'll let you in to the issues that they have, which could then, which, which if, if, you, if they don't let you in, they could then develop into much greater problems. And again, we go into the growth phase and the flashover and all that sort of thing, you know? So when you have that trust and, res- and mutual respect between your departments, which in itself is a mechanism, you know, every department should have a mechanism whereby if you don't agree with something, you should be able to address that, you know? Um, departments need to self-regulate, and that's part of that, you know? But I, I also think that, you know, especially when someone is... Um, wobbling a little bit and working a little counter to the mission of the department, you should be able to, because of their trust in you, you should be able to involve yourself. And instead of doing interrogation and, uh, and forced compliance, it should be more like inquire and resolve, right? I'm going to inquire what's happening and we're going to resolve this together rather than what the frig is going on. And because I said so, you know, so when you have that trust and, you know, you know, not all offices have that talent, you know, but again, sometimes you have departments that don't foster that talent and bring that sort of talent along. It's, you know, they're, they're, they, they would rather bludgeon someone than, uh, you know, than, you know, bring them along where and, and help them because there's nothing more important than person than your personnel. We spend more money and more time on our personnel or we should than any of the equipment that we have. Yeah, we. I talk about, uh, to my guys, I, you know, we, we're broken up in different divisions in, in the department, and uh, operations is, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road, and, I, and I've always said that the, the operation is the most important part of an organization, and if your operation isn't working correctly, well, that's where everybody's going to notice, you know, if... if if logistics isn't working correctly, then you're going to have some people that are kind of grouchy, you know, in the station. Maybe they don't have enough toilet paper, but if a fire engine uh, doesn't show up in front of someone's house when they call 911 or uh, skilled firefighters aren't getting off that fire engine, well, then everybody's going to know that and, and we're going to run into mm-hmm. some major issues. So, you know, uh, we're coming up to the to the witching hour, as uh, Frank Ritchie likes to say all the time. Um, you know, we've, we've been going at this for a little over an hour. It's fantastic stuff. I truly appreciate you being on the show. Um, so uh, if, obviously, if people want to get a hold of your book, 
your books. Um, you can find them. I know they're on Amazon, and they're also at mm-hmm. uh, uh, Pinwell Publishing through Fire Engineering, Full Contact Leadership, and Fire Ground Strategies. Plus, you have a, a, a bunch of DVDs that are out there that deal with uh, Fire 1 and Fire 2, right. stuff like that. Um, and and um, you do a lot of teaching, you know, not only at FDIC, but you do some stuff. So uh, do you have a website or, or a Facebook page that people can uh, visit if they need to, if they want to get a hold of you? Um, I have a Facebook page called Full Contact Fire Training, and I have my just regular Anthony Avillo page, you know, on Facebook. Um, I do not have a, uh, a website. Um, so if people need, want to get home, I'm on Facebook. People can instant message me on Facebook, and I'll always answer it. People can email me. Uh, you know, my email is deputy1 with the number one at optonline.net, O-P-T online, all one word, dot net. You can email me, good, bad, and different. You know, if you liked it, great. If you didn't like it, that's fine. Um, you know, we're always looking to get better, right? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, for those that out there that are listening, if they haven't been to FDIC, you know, when we finally get back into being able to uh, travel and, and, and go back out to this, I, I would highly recommend you coming out to FDIC. Um, come listen to uh, to Anthony's uh, stuff. And um, if you don't know who he is, he'll be the guy that's wearing shorts in 40-degree weather. So um, I think I think every time I've seen you, you're always in shorts. So, um, but uh, definitely good stuff. I recommend picking up the book. Uh, pay attention to uh, the leadership uh, um, things that are in this book, and 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 I think that people can really get a stronger uh, knowledge base. And when it comes to being a leader, it's not just you know putting people into burning buildings, but there's there's so much more to it. So. Again, Anthony, I thank you for being on the show and uh, look forward to thank seeing you, you again as soon as we get uh, get back out, get away from this pandemic stuff and be able to start traveling. Uh, hopefully our circles uh, will cross soon. If not, I'm sure Frank will have you on the Politics and Tactics radio show again. All right, brother. Listen, man, be safe. Thank you so much and uh, really appreciate what you're doing out there. Thank you. Take care. All right, bro. Bye. Bye.